Hello, and welcome to Nerd vs. Nerd, the podcast that explores the intersection of nerd culture with politics and identity. I'm Anjali. And I'm Mike. And this week, we are talking about Spider-Man Far From Home. Yay! 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 <laughs> you know, as always, we'll do a spoiler-free discussion before we dive into the real good stuff. Why don't we just start? So, Mike... I mean, I really, I really like this movie. It reminded me a lot of just teen movies from when I was, you know, 16, 18. A little bit of American Pie without the raunch. Reminded me a lot of Eurotrip. And I really like those movies. So, of course, I really like this one. You know, and it's Spider-Man. It's my favorite character. It was great. Really? Yeah. You say this while wearing a Captain America t-shirt. Yeah. So, look. I wore a Spider-Man shirt to the movie. I, w- I wore the band shirt to the show. I am that lame, but that is how much I like Spider-Man. Okay. okay. <laughs> Spider-Man, is my, Spider-Man is my favorite, is my favorite superhero. Yell at me. Uh, <laughs> what, did you, what did you think? I, I had a really fun time at this movie. I'm like eager to go back and see it again, but I almost want to wait a little mm-hmm. while because it was just really fun from start to finish, I thought. I loved... I love the feeling of a teen movie. I love that we were, you know, outside of New York. Pretty good villain. Yeah, it was cute. It was really cute. It was really fun. It was exciting. I never felt bored. And I think that's partly because Peter never catches a break in this movie, which we'll talk more about. Yeah, I mean, like, yeah, you compare it to some of the previous Spider-Man movies. And you mentioned something about, like, not being bored, right? Yes. And I think that is something... I stumbled across on a Homecoming rewatch, like after... Uh-oh. Hot uh, take. Here yeah, we go. After the scene in Washington, the movie kind of slowed down a bit. I didn't feel that way in in Far From Home, although it could be, you know... I think I think it depends on who you ask. So I think some people, they, they had issues with the pacing in this movie mm-hmm. because sort of the, the whole teen, teen, you know, um, class trip aspects of the film weren't maybe as interesting to them. So for them, I could understand it. You sort of feel like the first half of the movie kind of... Was slow. Slow yeah. or not not that interesting. I didn't uh-huh. feel that way. I could see that take. Uh, compared, I think I like this movie more than Homecoming. Just because yeah. I feel like, you know, what I said about... I don't think Peter catches a, a break in this movie. You know, he's got some some superhero stuff to deal with. And then he's got some, some teenage stuff to deal with. And mm-hmm. sort of on both fronts, he's got a lot thrown at him. And... He, and so that to me, I was like, oh, everywhere he, he turns around, there's there's something he's got to deal with. So this movie came out right after Endgame. Well, not right after, but it is the first MCU movie. Right after the Endgame re-release. And in the past, especially after uh, Avengers Age of Ultron and Avengers Infinity War, there's always talk about the first MCU movie after being a sort of palate cleanser after these big sort of like spectacle movies. Mm-hmm. So in the past, the the palate cleanser movies were the were the two Ant Man movies. This was definitely better than the two Ant Man movies. <laughs> like we're, we we can agree on that, right? Yeah, I totally agree with that. Uh-huh. I think people often say not only are they palate cleansers, but they mm-hmm. generally don't have major consequences for the, the MCU. Mm-hmm. And I think in terms of if we're just talking about this movie and not the credit scenes, so there's two credit scenes. If you haven't seen it yet and you go see it, you mm-hmm. can stay um, definitely stay for both yeah. of them. But, so this movie, I think there were parts of it that felt like a palate cleanser, you know? Mm-hmm. The the fact that, you know, what we talked about, all these teen elements of the movie, sort of these international locations, I think there's definitely some high stakes. There's a, there's a pretty, a better than average villain, I would say, and... 
there's definitely consequences not only for the Spider-Man story going forward but for the MCU um, overall and so I I thought it was I thought it was good and it definitely in addition to it being a palate cleanser people have also talked about that this movie is kind of the final movie in phase three it wasn't Endgame it was this movie and I think that's definitely true because they as we'll, we'll jump into next they sort of deal with the fallout of the snap and then Mm-hmm. the undoing of the snap yeah and they also yeah i mean i yeah i thought it was a really good palette cleanser too i like how it was a much smaller story without feeling like a smaller story like the stakes were there but they weren't oh my god the world's gonna end stakes it was right. it was oh my god this girl i have a crush on what do i do you know uh, my me being a superhero is interfering with my teenager's life like it was those kind of stakes like super high but much more personal whereas i think in the ant-man movies there were smaller stories but they were just i just didn't care you know like i like paul rudd i think he did a good job i don't dislike any of the characters in the ant-man movies i just didn't like they were just fine movies and like i don't care if i ever see them again (laughs) whereas i i will probably see this movie at least once more in theaters and then it will definitely make the rotation every time I decide to do, like, an MCU rewatch and, and like, leading up to the next big, like, tentpole movie. So, yeah, I really enjoyed I really enjoyed this movie. And, like, I think it's it was a good sort of, like, come down after, after Endgame. So, speaking of Endgame, uh, this movie dealt with the fallout of Endgame. Now, before we get into this, we this is the conclusion of spoiler-free section of the episode. We are going to be talking about this movie and everything that happens in it. So if you haven't seen the movie and you want to see it spoiler-free, stop listening. End of spoiler-free discussion in three, two, one. Endgame, the fallout. This movie tackled some of that. Right right from the jump, too. It was yeah. The first few minutes of this movie are hilarious. Uh-huh. And I... Uh, <laughs> And, no. Yeah, that that's that's it, because I don't want to get sued for uh, copyright infringement. But yes. Fun fact: I would often sing "I Will Always Love You" by Whitney Houston all the time as a child. Oh, really? Very poorly, I did. <laughs> um, but that was pretty awesome. How we got to hear mm-hmm. that music over like the opening. Yeah, credit. and it it was like literally a teenage sort of tribute to to Tony Stark. My favorite part. In their little tribute is the the Getty images thing, you know. Oh, where I didn't they, catch that. They use they're you like in their tribute video. One of the images they're using is like you know has like the Getty images like mm-hmm. watermark over the image. Oh really? Oh, I didn't catch that. Oh, catch right. it on the rewatch. I, it was I will. hilarious. Mm-hmm. But yeah, so they they really like right from the jump they sort of address how long it's been since people reappeared. Mm-hmm. They they call it the blip, and so it's kind of controversial. Is is the blip, are they referring to what we call the snap? Is that they're referring to it as the blip because they don't know that Thanos snapped his fingers and that's why everyone disappeared? Maybe that's mm-hmm. not public knowledge? Or is the blip lip referring to everybody coming, coming back? back? Yeah. I mean, like, that that's my interpretation because I have to assume that there's some sort of nomenclature for the snap, whether or not in-universe, you know, normal people call it the snap. There's got to be something for it. And I just assume it's the snap because 3.5 billion people just disappeared. The blip. It's a blip. Well, I mean, like, but then what do you call the people coming back? 
You call the whole thing them disappearing and reappearing the blip. Okay. I don't know. It doesn't really matter. Yeah. But, but the point is, they they talk about they talk about it. They mm-hmm. they tell us it's been a couple months since people reappeared. Yep. And then they also sort of give you some insight into some of the the challenges. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. People just came back seemingly exactly where they were dusted. Like one of the one of the scenes in the in the opening segment is a high school band playing in the gym and they get dusted and then they show the high school gym when they come back and it's the middle of a basketball game. And I love that that's through, like, that is shown through, you know, cell phone footage. Yeah. Because of course. Mm-hmm. And it makes sense that people would have cell phone footage of, you know, people being dusted too. That mm-hmm. they, who knows what they were recording. Yeah. And again, that's like a small thing that I really appreciate about the beginning of this movie because it... Something I just like about these movies in general that I'll say kind of later, both Homecoming and Far From Home, is they just feel very modern and very real. Like, it feels like these characters, maybe it's because they're teenagers, I'm sure that's part of it, Mm -hmm. but it really feels set in our current reality in a way that some of the other MCU movies don't. Like, they're set in the US or, you know, in New York, like familiar locations, but I don't know, they don't feel grounded in everyday life as much as homecoming and far from home do and so mm-hmm. i appreciate those like little touches yeah so those pesky little questions we had coming out of endgame like what happens like they they sort of address it and like oh hey like people come back and you know the people who were snapped away they didn't age they came back the same age as they were when they when they left and like okay like that makes sense and they came back exactly where they were snapped um but then, like, I remember on our Endgame episode, we talked about, like, like what about, like, the logistics of 3.5 billion people right. just reappearing? Like, how do you ramp up production, like, instantly? And, like, they kind of talk about it a little bit because Aunt May is hosting a fundraiser for, you know, the, the blipped people who came back because their lives, like, everyone else's lives, like, went on. And right. these new people, like... What do, like what do they do? Like all their possessions are gone, their housing's gone, you know. So the shows and fun days is like help these people get resettled, I guess. Um, they but- also sort of deal with like again, it's really quick. Um, one of the chaperones, I can't think of his name. He's talking about how his wife she pretended to be blipped oh, yeah. so she could run off with another man. And I, you could imagine that there were probably people who faked their own death, you know, like yeah, I'm I'm sure, yeah. Uh, Although there are some questions, you know, there's no need to nitpick because, I, I mean, of course they don't spend a lot of time on it because that's not the focus of this movie, but they at least pay, you know, they mm-hmm. acknowledge that, they, you know, there's these questions, but I mean, there's some questions I have. We talked about this, like, if it seems like, the, you know, they show the people who were dusted in the gym, that when they come back, they come back in the spot that mm-hmm. they were dusted from. Well, what if you were on an airplane? in the sky when all of a sudden <laughs> you're just like, like, like just like oh hey i guess i'm i guess we're doing this again all right i'm just gonna i'm just gonna die in, <laughs> in in two minutes when i like crash into the ground what happens if you you died not because you were dusted but because let's say you were on a plane again and the pilot was dusted and then the plane crashes and so then you die. I'm guessing you're not coming back, you know. Right. So 
So these little nitpicks don't really get answered, but I don't think that's, that's like that's not the the point. I, I know it's not yeah. the point, and I get it. It's one of those things where again you have to sort of mm-hmm. you gotta go with it. Yeah, yeah. Like they they hit all the right storytelling we're not, beats. We're not harping. We're just we're curious. We're getting yeah. curious. Yeah. <laughs> um, I know coming out of Endgame, we were curious about multiple universes. Uh, and they talked about that in the previews for this movie. Um, so what was, what is your takeaway on the multiple universes question coming out of this movie? That as far as we know, it's not, there are not multiple universes. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. That, that is my understanding as well. Uh, but what, so there's two things that though make this this idea of a multiple universe make it so convincing. So I think there's one end game, right? There's the snap and this idea that, because if you remember, I think we talked about this maybe in our, our end game review, how at the beginning of end game, before they go uh, confront Thanos on uh, rocket is saying something about how the energy then mm. what was it? It was like something about when Thanos snapped his fingers it, that, there was, like, like an energy... A, a big energy release from yes. the snap, yeah. And so, when I heard that, you know... Because then you had Thanos snap, then the Hulk snapped, and then Iron Man, Man snapped. snapped. Yeah. So, I'm sure at some point in Phase 4, they will make a reference to the ways in which the snap probably did alter mm-hmm. the nature of reality or the universe. But, right. but as far as this movie, no. Yeah. But the other thing that makes it, you know plausible is into the spider-verse right mm-hmm. and so that introduces this idea of multiple universes it's, right. you know it's a spider-man movie mm-hmm. and so i think i think you could have believed that 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 could happen and yeah. it could still happen mm-hmm. and so that's something that i thought was really exciting about this movie is not just we keep talking about the fallout for an end game but then thinking about into the spider-verse and I think that something that's really intriguing about this movie is that, it, you know, we think that this is a mar it's part of the MCU, it's a Marvel movie, but it's also a Sony movie. And I think there's something unique about that Sony-Marvel partnership that... That could be the, the window into bringing in something. Maybe, yeah. maybe. I think that would be incredible. Like, look at that collaboration. But also, I think that there's something about homecoming and far from home. I can't articulate it well, so I'm not going to, you know, talk about it. But those these movies feel really modern and fresh in a way that a lot of other MCU movies don't. And I mm-hmm. wonder if that's Sony. Like, if there's something about their their role in this. Because, mm-hmm. you know, we, we talked last week about Into the Spider-Verse and all the things we loved about it. And how it was just, like, unlike anything we'd ever seen. And that was Sony. So I feel like they've... They've got a handle on the Spider-Man prop, on the Spider-Man property, and I hope that you know Sony and Marvel keep working together on these Spider-Man movies because I think they're doing a really great job. Yeah, yeah, so, I agree. Good job, Amy Pascal. <laughs> You're doing it. You and you, you and Kevin Feige, like keep keep working together. <laughs> um. Okay, so another kind of loose end from Endgame is sort of how does the world deal with the loss of Tony Stark, and so. I think that's something we kind of want to touch on here. I mean, Tony Stark, his figure looms pretty large in this movie. Like, mm-hmm. 
He's basically a character in this movie. Yeah, I mean, Peter Parker says, like, I see him everywhere, which is, I think, kind of a joke. Like, he says it very somberly, but I also think it's kind of a joke because you see Iron Man everywhere in this movie. Yes. There's mules all Murals, over. Murals, there's, Paintings, you know, uh, yeah. On, like, the screens in the airport. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Yeah, statues, I think. Yeah, so... I appreciated that, you know, Edith stands for even dead. I'm the hero. That was hilarious. Yeah, yeah. Which just goes to show you uh, Tony's sort of, like, arrogance and and self-obsession. Which I think, coming out of Endgame, like, oh, Tony's a hero. And he was. But I think we were sort of like looking at him and his legacy through rose colored glasses. I think we I think this movie gives us an opportunity to sort of reevaluate Tony Stark's legacy. Um so you have Edith, who is the sort of like the interface for what is literally a worldwide surveillance state and can launch drones and and do all sorts of stuff. That's like that's not cool. Like, like I I don't I don't see how that's a good thing. You know, like sure Tony Stark didn't abuse it and Peter didn't abuse it, but it's still not a good thing. You know, um, and then Peter loses it or gives it away he to does, someone. He does not lose it. Yeah, he he, he does give it away. He gives eagerly, it away. Like take this. Yeah, yeah, and like, I mean, like, that kind of, like, shows you, like, if someone who is morally good, like, Peter Parker, like, I don't want this, I don't want this responsibility, maybe that's a hint that no one should have that responsibility. Yes, real quick sidebar, maybe it's also a point that Peter Parker really is a child, and, you know, sort of Mysterio's point that we can't... You know, put this in the hands of a child. I mm-hmm. mean, are they wrong? They're, no. Peter, Peter Parker's amazing. Love him. <laughs> super smart. Super good. But he is a, he is a child. So yeah, yeah, he's 16. You know, um, yeah. So, like, that's, I don't know. I, I am more skeptical of the greatness of Tony's legacy after this movie. I will not tolerate Tony Stark slander. <laughs> put that out there. But Have I said anything that's been incorrect yet? <laughs> no. So, but I think So, let's put let's let's talk about this. A lot of Tony, a lot of the problems that Tony Stark okay. solved, Tony Stark created. Okay? Uh, you know, like in the I mean, yeah, there's Ultron. Uh, like, the only the only villain that Tony Stark defeated that he didn't create was Thanos. <laughs> you know? The, the first Iron Man movie, you know, someone stole his tech and, and used it and, you know, wanted to wanted his money and, you know, I can't remember the entire Facts. plot. Yeah. Um, and then in the Iron Man... We're not going to talk about Iron Man 2. That movie never happened. Uh, but then he, Facts. <laughs> you know, then he created Ultron. Look how that ended. Um, and then in Iron Man three, like he almost lost control of his entire sort of like Iron Man army to whoever that guy was. I um, mean, to be fair, 
his the you know the industry that he and him his father was in they were they were mm-hmm. manufacturing weapons well, exactly <laughs> which is kind of my point like Tony's not this great guy that we necessarily think he is like sure he evolved and became better but he can't walk on water is what I'm saying despite the fact that I'm sure there's an Iron Man suit that can you know but we talk about how uh, every problem that Tony Stark solved, he created. He also created Spider-Man's villains, right? Like, he's the reason the Vulture came about. You know, like, he sort of, like, he was involved in, the, like, the takeover of the cleanup. And then in this movie, he stole tech from uh, uh, Quentin. Yeah. yeah. Hmm? Barf is what oh, he yeah, called yeah. it. Yeah, like, he, yeah. Yeah, I mean, he had a... a a different name, and then Tony Stark just takes it and acronyms it to Barf. And like, who can who can blame uh, uh, Quentin Beck for being upset about that? I mean, I don't think he should have done what he did. But if Tony Stark hadn't been like a self obsessed narcissistic jerk, <laughs> Quentin Beck. These are valid points, and I appreciate that the movie, you know. Through Quentin Beck, mm-hmm. his character, as well as his sort of, you know, Quentin and Co., mm-hmm. they deal with the fact that, yeah, while most of the world is grieving the loss of Tony Stark, especially our hero, not everyone feels that way. Mm-hmm. And I mean, I also appreciate, too, that even Happy acknowledges that Tony was a hot mess. <laughs> yeah. So, I do think that they are... Aware. Yeah. Not, Some people yes. are aware. Yeah. yeah. And I think it paints an interesting contrast between Peter and Tony because a big part of Tony sort of leaving these things for Peter is like, be better than I was. And it goes to show that Peter, Peter can be better than Tony was. Like, as long as he doesn't trip over that bar, he'll be okay. <laughs> you know? I also appreciate the way that this movie... Well, yes, I agree. Peter is different than Tony, and that's good. There's there's subtle ways that they draw parallels between him and Tony in this movie. Mm-hmm. And part of that is kind of fleshing out more of sort of the geeky science nerd, you know, aspects of Peter's character, which is, you know, a big part of Peter Parker. And I feel like we don't really see that so much in... Well, we see it in Homecoming a bit, but then, mm-hmm. I mean, outside of Homecoming, his other appearances in the MCU are Civil War, Infinity War. And Endgame, yeah. A few seconds in Endgame. And so I like that this movie shows, you know, um, him getting excited about the possible existence of multiple realities, or, mm-hmm. you know, when he's on the, the jet with Happy, and he's sort of playing around with Tony's tech, and he's just, it seems very intuitive, and, mm-hmm. you know natural to him and in some ways you could his movements almost mimic or you know reference kind of tony yeah the way playing around with stuff yeah Um, moving like moving the holograms and like enlarging them and you know like just sort of like okay i have this holographic image of a glove and he sort of like puts his hand into it just to see how and if it's not super obvious to you that they're sort of referencing you know tony you know the music in that scene makes it super clear Mm -hmm. yep they started playing uh acdc's back in black (laughs) who peter parker thinks is led zeppelin 
Uh, I will let that slide because he's 16. <laughs> but like, you can't really confuse Led Zeppelin and ACDC unless you're 16 years old. I think also something that's really cool since we're talking about Tony. I mean, we gotta. I just can't get over how cool it is that they made callbacks to mm-hmm. some of the iron, like to Iron Man One. Yeah. Um, that is the same actor. Like I, I checked and. I mean, that's just so freaking cool. Like, I, I don't know what else to say. I don't have anything, you know, super smart. I don't have a hot take. I just think it's really cool. Yeah, yeah. I mean, they do, they had the callback to Iron Man 1, and they also had the callback to Civil, Civil War. War. right. Yeah. Um, I just, I mean... They're, re- they're really leaning into the sort of comic bookness of this whole thing, where characters from other titles can show up in... In different books. They're also really making you feel like you cannot miss a single, you know, movie mm-hmm. in the MCU. And I think that's really exciting. I hope we continue to see that. They're sort of being self-referential. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, th- I think that's a really interesting way to create movies. Um, some people have issues with it. Because, like, why can't movies stand by themselves, you know, stand alone as individual works of art? Which is a valid criticism, I think. But that's not what the MCU is trying to do. I think they're really trying to replicate the look and feel of comic books in a visual, uh, like, a, a, like a motion visual medium. Mm-hmm. And, and I think they're doing a really good job of it. And just trying to weave together all these different threads. Mm-hmm. And... Yeah. Like, when you read comic books, what is that, like, what feeling do, do like reading comic books evoke and they're trying to like replicate that feeling uh like when watching a movie and i also think part of it is that you have you have a a kevin feige (laughs) you know yeah Yeah. kevin feige is the stanley of the mcu like i don't think that is that far off of a statement you know like he's just orchestrating this whole thing the only thing he's not doing is literally creating the characters and right now we're gonna shift you know, shift in tone to t- really emphasize what we liked in the movie. Yeah. So, I really like the the music in this movie. I know you talked about the music in uh, Into the Spider-Verse. You know, the, the whole hip-hop uh, feel and, like, all the, the hip-hop songs used. But was, I mean, was there a lot of music in this movie? I mean... So we had I Will Always Love You during the opening credits, uh-huh. and then we had Vacation by the Go-Go's in the Yeah, and, and, but then in... In both this movie and uh, Homecoming, they had Ramones tracks. So I just like the whole feel True. of, like, they're using sort of, like, these punk, pop-punk mm-hmm. songs to, like, they're just, like, catchy and fast. And they just, like, evoke this this feeling of, of being a teen, right? Mm-hmm. Because these are teen movies. They're trying to, they're, they're teen movies with superheroes. You know, like we talked about last week, you know, Civil or uh, Winter Soldiers as a spy thriller with Captain America. Mm-hmm. Like these are just teen movies with with Spider Man. Yeah, and I personally, I love the the balance they strike between teen movie and superhero movie. Mm-hmm. I I enjoy both parts equally. I know not everyone feels that way, but I don't know. I just think it's so fun and cute. Makes mm-hmm. me wish I was a teenager. Yeah, yeah, for a me too. Moment in time. <laughs> Um, so yeah, like I like the, yeah, the music I think was like just catchy and sort of it, like it did its job in evoking a certain, you know, feeling while, while watching the movie and it definitely worked on me. Um, it also helps that we have 
actors in these roles that mm-hmm. are sort of younger. Yeah. Yeah, you have Tom Holland and Zendaya who are twenty three and, and twenty two and compare that to Tobey Maguire in the first Spider Man. Washed. Yeah, right. Who was twenty seven and so in this movie you have uh Tom Holland and Zendaya who can kinda look like teenagers in high school. It also helps I think Shout out to costume makeup people because, yeah, I mean, they're dressed pretty normal. Like, mm-hmm. Zendaya, I mean, I'm sure they're wearing makeup, but it's a very natural look. Yeah. You know, even her hair, she's got pulled back in a ponytail. I'm here for it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, I appreciate it. it. Just everything to say, music, you know, look and feel. Yeah. Digging it. It's mm-hmm. beautiful. It's yeah. fun. I'm here for it. Also, you know, they go to Europe, which. You know, they do it in a lot of movies where it's like, oh, the sequel or the third movie, you know, they they go they go abroad, they go mm-hmm. to Europe. And so We have a villain in this movie, Mysterio, who who um I think he's one of the better villains that we've had. Oh definitely. In, like he's not he's not Thanos, he's not Loki, and he's not Killmonger. But I'm hard pressed to think of a villain I like more. I yeah I can't, I, I I can't. Um, I think part of that is Jake Gyllenhaal. Like he does a really you, good job. You like him? You like Mysterio the most of all the villains in the MCU? Is that what you're saying? No, not like not more than Thanos, Loki. Oh, yeah. oh, I see. I mean, I'm hard-pressed to name another villain besides the ones you just mentioned yeah. because they're that forgettable. Yeah, so I, that, that's kind of my point. I don't think Mysterio's going to be that forgettable. Um, I think part of it is, like, his superpower, right? It's so real. So in the comics, Mysterio uses chemicals to induce illusions, and far from home, he's using technology. Like, it's not technology we have, but... Are we really that far off from it, though? Right? Like, we can project holograms and, and do stuff. People doctor videos and yeah. images, like... Yeah. So, like, that's why I like how in this movie, like, they made a point of he's using... He's using technology and is using sort of human psychology to sort of trick people into behaving and believing what he wants them to to do um yeah i just and i mean i'm sure we'll talk about this throughout this episode it's kind of a commentary on where we're at right now Mm -hmm. people are very susceptible to believing things yeah Um, even if it's just you know scrolling through facebook or twitter in your news Mm -hmm. feed like oh i read this article or oftentimes people don't even read the article Uh they will just read the headline and like re um you know reshare that yeah and yeah, I, we're we're very susceptible, mm-hmm. and I I feel like it's a it's yeah I, that's why I think not he's... only just in like the, in an MCU where people just you know there's this mass disappearance you know this is also an MCU where they had you know Battle of New York these these aliens come down so mm-hmm. it's it's not only believable in that universe but it's yeah. also just believable in our our modern reality yeah yeah so I I think Mysterio is kind of a frightening villain. And I, like I like the the subtle changes they made to to his character. How it wasn't necessarily just Mysterio. He had like a team 
helping him, you know, kind of like in any sort of just sort of like reminiscent of sort of like disinformation campaigns that we've read about over the past few years. Like it's not one person, like it's concerted effort among a group of people to do, you know. So I think he's a very timely villain as well. There was sort of a, um, I guess it was a more minor element of his character. And, you know, after he gets the glasses from Peter and they're sort of having, you know, his celebratory speech, shouting everybody out, he sort of talks about this idea that, man, nowadays to get like attention and respect, you need a cape, you know, which is why he has this elaborate costume. And sort of this, like, smugness of we're smart. Like, we should be the ones who are sort of garnering the world's attention and being able to influence people. And, you know, like, we should be the people that are sort of held up in society. You know, the smart mm-hmm. people, the, the inventors. And I thought that was interesting because... I don't know. We kind of live in, we live in a very technocratic society. This idea that, you know... Like, smart... Smart ideas or new um, inventions are going to be sort of what should propel us forward, what's going to save us. And, I mean, I don't I don't really believe that, but I think that's something that is kind of becoming yeah. a thing. Yeah, I think that's a, a very sort of, like, Silicon Valley white tech bro attitude. And, like, I, I don't agree with it either, but, <laughs> I mean, like... His character is, you know, he's a Silicon Valley tech bro, you know, like super smart, sure, and creates this really cool thing, but then, you know, it can be used for like all sorts of nefarious purposes, which I think we're starting to come around to that thought process on a lot of sort of inventions uh, or like new, new products that have been introduced over the past, you know, 10 or 15 years. You know, how, like, maybe maybe these things aren't the greatest invention ever. And I think, again, to speak to why this movie feels so modern and fresh, especially compared to other MCU movies, I think, again, look at this villain. Similar, similar to Killmonger and Black Panther, where people felt like, man, the conflict in this movie, it, it kind of parallels some real world issues of these challenges of oh i was thinking we 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 have not reviewed black panther but we've talked about it so many times Mm -hmm. and i feel like we did you know this idea of kind of dealing with colonialism dealing with relationships within the, the african diaspora and so because the conflict in that movie you could relate to it it felt grounded in kind of real world issues similar here it mm-hmm. feels very much like you know the issues around tech the issues around the media landscape you know people are susceptible to believing things kind of fake news mm-hmm. all of that stuff here it we can understand that and we can you know draw parallels to it and i think that's what also makes him a really interesting villain and makes this movie just really really fresh yeah timely and on point and I thought I thought it was awesome that they did that. Mm-hmm. So. We've reached the Mike fixates on a character relationship part of the episode. And makes it mildly creepy. No, I really like Peter and MJ. I think they're adorable. They just... I don't know. I think they sort of portray that awkward teenage first crush sort of 
feeling very well. You know, like they're kind of like circling each other and they're unsure of everything. And there's like little, um, like little signs that like the other catches that they might be interested. And I don't know, like I just, like I just thought it was cute and I thought it was, I thought it was nice, you know. It was nice. Yeah, I did like, I did like their awkwardness. Mm-hmm. And then, like, when when they, like, sort of ended up together at the end of the movie, like, I was, it, it was just super happy, you know? I just, it made me feel good, and I enjoyed it. I, did, I don't know why you're saying it as if, like, <laughs> I enjoyed all those things, too. I think any human being who is not a sociopath would <laughs> appreciate and enjoy that, too. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, but yeah, like I know you have feelings about uh, Peter and MJ too. So <laughs> I, I do have feelings. So I just, you know, shout out to Peter. You know, two for two with these movies now. You know, the the love interest is mm-hmm. a black girl. I'm here for it. It's awesome. Yes, you know, we thought we thought Homecoming. Maybe that was just like oh, maybe it was a fluke. But no, clearly Peter he likes he likes. Caramel. <laughs> he likes the chocolate? Caramel. I would caramel. say caramel. Yeah, <laughs> yeah that, that's fair. Yeah, um, so I'm totally here for it. I am I am hopeful that a future Spider-Man movie will sort of explicitly kind of acknowledge this. <laughs> I mean, I doubt I doubt that'll happen. I think as long as they keep, like... Maybe, you know, even... I was talking to someone about this. You know, they were saying, too, like, I want to see them acknowledge it. And I was like, how? are they gonna do that yeah i was like what, what this movie doesn't take place in like 1950 jim crow south it's not mm-hmm. like someone's gonna throw something at them if they're out in public on a date but yeah. you know think... maybe they could be like maybe, maybe maybe mj could be like peter you know i i didn't think that you'd be into me and he's right. like well why why would you think that i'm like i don't know yeah, I I think in the in the third movie, there's probably gonna be a sort of like throwaway joke line about you know Peter like Peter liking black girls. I don't think it's gonna be like explicitly stated, and they're not gonna go super into it. But I think I think I think Ned will have like a smart a smart ass comment. I mean, I don't think they'll actually do this, you know. And you know, it's kind of one of the things I actually like about this movie. Since we're talking about things we like, I like that you know his classmates very very racially ethnically diverse yeah. and it's just there it's not mm-hmm. it's not something that they comment on it's just there because that's normal because it's a new york city high school so good but anyway really to go back to you know mj mm-hmm. in addition to the fact that mj is black i appreciate that she's just cool as hell you know she's very smart she's perceptive and she's she's dark she's edgy yeah. um and I like that. I like she's not annoying. She's not hella paranoid. Mm-hmm. She's um, not a damsel in distress. Yes. Although, I don't know. She could be going forward because... So, I was thrilled when they got together because, yes, it's it's cute. They like each other. Mm-hmm. Yay. I just... I like this character. I like that she's smart. I like that she's, you know, independent. And I just hope that now that they're together, they don't sort of relegate her to the girlfriend, to, you know, the damsel in distress. Because, of course, Mm -hmm. you know, especially now that Spider-Man's identity has been revealed, 
oh well his girlfriend is gonna be a target yeah and I just hope I, I'm I'm confident that they'll take it in a different direction it won't just be oh no she's on top of a building he has to save her she's smart enough to sort of maneuver her way in and out of situations to come up with solutions to help him sort of problem solve she's tough you know mm-hmm. so I'm excited for them to sort of yeah. take her continue to take her character in a fresh direction yeah I am I am on board with that idea uh, I like Zendaya as MJ way more than I like Kirsten Dunst as MJ because yeah. um, I know we were talking about it earlier Kirsten Dunst's MJ was very much a damsel in distress and very much whiny um, yeah, we don't, we don't got time for that, okay? It's 2019. <laughs> oh, we got oh some you don't want to do the five-minute rant now. Okay. No, I'm, I'm trying to keep the few followers that we have. <laughs> no, I'm, I'm very self-aware. I'm not trying to be that polarizing of a figure. Mm-hmm. But yeah, we don't have time for whininess. You know, we've got some real stuff to deal with. Mm-hmm. So, no. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, so and, what else we got to... In addition to popping female characters in this movie, let's give it up to Aunt May, you know? You know, not only are they taking MJ in a fresh direction, they're taking Aunt May in a fresh yeah. direction. Yeah, she's not this little old lady anymore. Like, she's... She's hot, she's single, ready mm-hmm. to mingle. Yeah. She's out here doing fundraisers, doing mm-hmm. the work in yeah. the community. Yeah. But the, but the ditch happy. Yeah, she's having a summer fling, you know. Not everything has to be serious, you know. <laughs> Here for it. Yes. Yeah. Let it, yes, you know. Let mm-hmm. it be the guy who's, like, trying to make it work. And the woman is like, eh. No, I'm good. We'll see. Yeah. <laughs> Here for it. Again, whoever is making these decisions, good job. I yeah. don't know if it's Amy Pascal. I don't know if it's Kevin Feige. I don't know if it's someone else. But whoever you are. Keep doing it. We're here for you. Mm-hmm. Keep up the good work. <laughs> yeah. Um, talk a little bit about Peter. Peter in this movie. Yeah. I mean, who doesn't like Tom Holland? As far as I'm concerned, Tom Holland can play Spider-Man for the rest of his life. He is the best Spider-Man I think we've ever had. Oh, for sure. And, yeah, I mean, honestly, I would take like a 60, 70 year old Spider-Man with Tom Holland, you know? What's going on down to the nursing home? <laughs> I'm, I'm here for it. Yeah, but and, like he does a he does a good job of sort of like capturing the essence of of the character, you know. Like I think we talked a little bit last week in the into the Spider Verse about how Peter Parker just sort of can't catch a break. Like bad <laughs> stuff just always happening to him, you know. And that's kind of like what happens to to Peter in this movie. Like just. One thing after another, you know. Yeah, like, they, they they don't say that with great power comes great responsibility line. Uh-huh. Know, but I mean that that is gets to the heart of this character, and we definitely see that in this movie. Mm-hmm. He's really wrestling with like, oh, do I? I we just defeated Thanos. Like, can we? Can know, I go on vacation? Please, yeah. like you know, just for a little bit. And I mean, is he being whiny though? There's, we got some, you know, before they understand, you know, what Mysterio's deal is, mm-hmm. like. As far as they're concerned, like, the state of the world is at stake again. Yeah. Is he being a brat by being like, oh, I just want to hang out with this girl, like... Yeah. No, and, like, I don't think he is. Like, I don't blame him. Like, I... <laughs> like, I just want to just either. live life. Like, you know, like, that's dangerous. Like, he could die. Again. You know? 
like saving the world, he can die again. But the thing and, is, if he doesn't go out and try to save the world, then everyone could die, and so then there is no girl right. to have a happily ever after. Yeah, I mean, and that's true, but I don't fault him for complaining about it while he's doing it. No, I don't either. Yeah. And not to keep saying, oh, well, yeah, he's a kid. I like that. But, mm-hmm. I mean, yes, he's a kid. And also, I appreciate the fact he's like, you can't get anyone else. Like, Captain Marvel, you can't, mm-hmm. you know. Yeah, with Doctor Thor. Strange. Yeah. <laughs> I like that because, you know, often in these movies, that's, a, like, a valid question. Mm-hmm. Like, Yeah. And he's like, I'm just a 16-year-old kid. Like, you have actual adults <laughs> also with superpowers. Like, why do you need me? You know? <laughs> yeah, I like that. I like, I like seeing him sort of wrestle with these things. I also appreciate that even when he's not sort of, you know, being pulled between, you know, between superhero stuff and, you know, trying to get with MJ, that even when he's just focused on MJ, there's a, there's a battle there because of the other classmate who's mm-hmm. into her. Yeah. And so I, I like that, yeah, Peter never catches a break in this movie. Yeah. But it works out for him in the end. Well, well, does it? Well, yeah. Okay. So in the first end, it works out for him. Um... But yeah, so for all the things that we like about this movie, there are a few things that we're maybe a little neutral on. Um, we're we're kind of nitpicking a little bit. Yeah. Um, so one of my things is that in this movie, New York City isn't a character like it is in some of the other Spider-Man movies. I think that Spider-Man is very much a product of his environment. I don't think that Spider-Man could exist in another city, despite the fact that he does all this stuff in like in Prague and London and everything. I think he's very much a New York City hero. You know, he's a friendly neighborhood Spider-Man, and, and his he, neighborhood is New York City. Does he have a line in this movie where he sort of basically says that? Where he's like, I'm, I'm a neighborhood yeah, yeah, guy. Yeah, like, like, yeah, I, I'm not... Like, I don't know what's going on with the Avengers. Like, I, I, I'm worried about here. I think that's his whole thing. And, like, that's what I mean when I say, like, New York City is a character. Like, he swings on Manhattan. I don't think he can swing around L.A. I don't, like, maybe he could exist in Chicago. Well, he can't swing around L.A. because... <laughs> I mean, one end from L.A. to the other end of L.A. is, like, 40 miles Whereas, like, one well, end of New York... it's mostly freeways. Aside from downtown, downtown LA, you don't have enough tall buildings for him. It, that, that's my point. You know, so I, I think it's very much a, a New York City thing. Um, and you sort of see it. The feel of the movie, when he's in Prague or London or Italy, is a lot different than, like, the last scene of the movie where he's swinging around Manhattan. Completely different. I think, like, that's... Like, I'm okay with it being set in Europe, but I did miss that feeling a little bit. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that's a fair comment. Sidebar, they gotta stop blowing up the London Bridge. Seriously. Like <laughs> <laughs> Let's give it a break. Yeah. Find some other world-famous landmarks to, to blow up. <laughs> okay, so another thing that kind of felt uh, about in this movie... Ned is kind of trash as Peter's friend in this movie. And they, you know, they make light of it. Like, oh, mm-hmm. I'm, I'm a man. I'm in love. I'm with my lady. Whatever. But it's like, Ned, you're your best friend. your friend is going through some stuff. Like, aside from the fact that he's trying to get with MJ and it's not working out, like, he, he lets you on to the fact that he's sort of being pulled into dealing with this 
um, this big global threat. Mm -hmm. And you're just like, oh, you'll figure it out. Or kind of just like, just not really concerned. And I just thought that was, that was so trash. Like, Peter's kind of alone in this movie with what he's dealing with. And mm -hmm. I just thought, like, his best friend should should be there for him. Could have, yeah, should have yeah. been there a little more for him. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I, I agree. I also think it's kind of an accurate portrayal of a teenager. Because <laughs> teenagers yeah. are like, you know, kind of like narcissistic and self-absorbed. And only care about like what like immediately what's happening to them, but again, yeah, he was not a very good friend of Peter. But I mean, like I think that's sort of like how teens learn and grow is they're a bad friend and they're told they're a bad friend. Like, oh hey, I guess I was, and then in the future they're better friends. Yeah, <laughs> you know, I mean, so I, well, he's got MJ now, and you know, mm -hmm. she knows what's good. So yeah, yeah. But Ned will be back in the in the next Spider Man movie. I don't know. Movie. Maybe MJ's going to tell Ned about himself or be like, tell Peter about Ned. Like, look, is this your man's? Like, do better. <laughs> no, I like Ned. Ned's Ned's kind of goofy and, and no, charming. No, I like, I like Ned too. I'm just saying, show up for your friend. <laughs> and you know, I will say that is true. Like, you know, teenagers, blah blah blah. But also, teenagers can also be very fiercely loyal. So. That's true. Yeah, I mean, look at MJ in this movie. <laughs> Speaking of characters that didn't feel too hot about, I thought the two teachers or chaperones were kind of meh. Like, yeah. More or not... Well, first of all, is it J.B. Smooth? Oh, yeah, J.B. Yeah. He doesn't even really do anything in this movie. As far as I'm concerned, they, they could have taken him out the movie. Mm -hmm. Like, seriously. Um, I think I get to another thing that I just didn't really like about this movie is, but some of the, like, you know, secondary characters, they just, it's like the same running joke about each character. Like, Flash Thompson, he's on his phone, you know, he's kind of being a jerk. And, you know, the, the one teacher is just, like, completely, like, kind of incompetent. And then, like, you know, J.B. Smith's character, he's, like, he Leave comes me out of this. In, yeah, it comes in with a quick one-liner. Yeah, like, I'm not here, basically. Yeah. Don't not my me fault. do anything. Yeah. And it's just, like, there's multiple characters like that where it's, like, funny the first couple times, and then it's a little just like, okay, we get it. Yeah. Here we go again. Flash is on his phone. We get it. We get it. Like, so, meh. Sidebar, what was going on the, the very quick scene when he's in the Netherlands? That was, like, so random. You know, when Peter doesn't you know, get hit by the train and die. And then he ends up in jail. Oh, and then yeah. he gets out of jail. And then he's I like, think that's just a, a funny European to really friendly bit. Sure. <laughs> yeah, it was, it was fine. It just felt really random. I was like, wait a minute, what? Where are we? What? Does this even make sense? Mm -hmm. Doesn't matter. So that's sort of like the, the end of the movie. And so we have two post-credit scenes in this movie. The First, it starts off with Peter swinging through Manhattan with MJ, which I thought was very reminiscent of the, like Tobey Maguire's uh, Spider-Man movie. It's just just the way it was shot and everything yeah. is very reminiscent of that. Uh, but then, speaking of the Tobey Maguire Spider-Man movies, we have the return of J.K. Simmons as J. Jonah Jameson. Freaking awesome! Yeah. Again. Whoever is making these decisions, shout outs to you. Yeah. I freaking love that. Yeah, that was that was a nice touch. Um, cuz I like I like JK Simmons anyway, but he was also really good as Jake Jonah Jameson. 
and he is he's he's the editor of the Daily Bugle. He he's like the face of the Daily Bugle. Except the Daily Bugle is not a newspaper anymore. It's like a website. Mm-hmm. It is Infowars. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you watch that scene like. J.K. Simmons as J. Jonah Jameson is Alex Jones. And, like, they have, like, the same style logo. He has the same delivery. It's, yeah. I, We're getting real political up in here. Yeah. And, like, I think this movie is, like, kind of, like, like low-key. Oh, totally. Yeah. Like, I think a lot of people aren't going to get it. But the people who get it are, like. There will be a couple think pieces. Oh, yeah, for sure. Um, I, but I think that kind of, like, goes back to Mysterio and the whole sort of, like, role of technology in controlling people and people being susceptible to, you know, fake news and being fools and everything. You know, he's... Like, that's... Like, that's Alex Jones' whole shtick is making stuff up, you know? And I think they do a good job of sort of painting painting Alex Jones in a negative light by using J. Jonah Jameson. Yeah. I also, you know, I wonder... I, I, I totally, like, love that they are updating these movies, they're placing them sort of, you know, in this modern context and sort of related to that. I wonder how they might deal with the fact, you know, one, Peter's identity is revealed, mm-hmm. okay, through doctored footage, we might add, which yes. is a nice, like, deep fake shout out, I think. But I wonder, too, it's like, okay, we live in a time where it's like, you know, if you look at someone's, like, social media or even just, like, you know, all the ways in which whether you're scrolling social media or you're buying things online, the way that it, there's so much information about your location and your activities that is available and people can you know if they really wanted to sort of track you and follow you and learn a lot about you Mm -hmm. so it's like the fact that his identity is revealed and that it's in a context where you know people can learn so much about him his his family his friends probably all through just the internet too that's something that's kind of a little different than you know early 2000s even Mm -hmm. and um, i'd be curious to see if they kind of address that like it's just yeah. It's a real dangerous world to be in and have your identity mm-hmm. revealed. Yeah, sp- yeah. Especially to be like a teenager and you're sort mm-hmm. of like going to school and Yeah. Like yeah, going back to the idea of a uh surveillance state. Um And it's actually kind of interesting oh, sorry, I cut you off. No, no, go ahead. No. Because I think about, you know, the parallels between Peter and Tony in this movie and it's interesting because Tony he chooses to announce to the world his identity that I am Iron Man, you know? Yeah. Like, he is in yeah. full control of that reveal. Yeah. He's eager Peter, to put that out there. Yeah. Peter Parker, or well, Spider-Man, he was the only masked hero in the MCU. Like, we, like, we know, who, like, people knew who Captain Marvel was. People know who Doctor Strange is. People know that Bruce Banner is the Hulk. Uh, they knew Tony Stark was Iron Man. They knew Steve Rogers. Uh, who uh, they know? Hawkeye. Yeah, they know T'Challa is is Black Panther. You know, so all of these people have their identities known by the general public. But I think it's worth pointing out that all of these people are either one much stronger than Spider Man in terms of like their their powers, uh, like the Hulk and 
you know, Doctor Strange are on completely different levels when compared to, to Spider-Man. But they, some of these people also just have much greater resources to protect themselves and their family, more importantly. You know, uh, you know Tony Stark like, I'm Iron Man. And he just builds this army of robots that protects him. He builds Pepper multiple suits that she can wear, you know. Uh, T'Challa has his his royal guard, plus his sister is, like, basically a superhero in her own right, you know. Um, also, he's got vibranium. Yeah, he's got vibranium. Loki, like, the richest country. Uh-huh. In the world. You know, like. uh, Steve Rogers has S.H.I.E.L.D. You know, he has, like, a government backing him up. You know, Peter Parker, he's a dude. <laughs> like, like, yeah, he's got some really cool powers. And, like, he's really strong. And, like, he's great at fighting. But he's got to sleep at some point, And he can only protect so many people at a time. He's got to go to school. Yeah. I mean, we've just even seen in these two movies how... Even before his identity is revealed, just how he, like, puts all of his classmates at risk, both in D.C. and then on this trip. like. Mm-hmm. And I think he's cognizant of that, and he wants to minimize it. And now that his identity is revealed, how does he do it? You know? Yeah, um, the stakes are pretty high. Yeah. I think you're raising really good points. Yeah, right? I think, I mean, the third movie is going to be all about that. Like, it has to be. Um, I'm so, so excited. Yeah. I want it right now. Yeah. I can't wait. I... I'm interested to see how, like, how they handle it. Because, like, that's the thing in the comic. He tries so hard to keep it at any secret from, like, everyone. And he tells, like, three people in the entire... Like, he tells Aunt May at some point in the comics. And he tells MJ at some point in the comics. Like, outside of that circle, I don't think there's many people who know who he is. Like, Green Goblin finds out at some point. But it's really small because he tried really hard. Well, so, so this is, you know, I know we're going to talk about, you know, sort of predictions going forward, but all the points you just raised about the fact that all the other Avengers have, you know, access to resources Mm -hmm. to protect them makes me wonder if maybe this next Spider-Man movie, are we going to get like Oscorp? Are we going to get like, you know, someone who's going to come in and offer Peter that protection, mm-hmm. offer him some resources and and turn out to not be I mean, that's that's a uh I'd I'd be interested to see if Oscorp comes it comes into cuz I'm not sure what the deal is between Sony and, and Marvel in terms of like what characters Marvel can use and stuff. But but yeah, I mean, I'm also curious how many like MCU Spider-Man movies are gonna be because I remember at the very beginning they said there's gonna be four standalone Spider-Man movies like one for each year of high school I don't know how that's gonna work out especially mm-hmm. since Spider-Man was in two different <laughs> Avengers movies plus Civil War um, but that's gonna be that's gonna be interesting so I mean so that was the first credit mm-hmm. uh, scene I think it's worth just adding before we talk about the second one just how bold both of these scenes are there's Stakes are high. Mm-hmm. Consequences are real. I think I'm trying to think about like yeah. all the MCU. You yeah, know, I was really surprised that they revealed his identity in an end credit scene. I'm surprised too that it was not just one, but both credit. You know, so now we're gonna talk about the second one, but like both of them are pretty bold. Like mm-hmm. you know, because a lot of times you'll have kind of like throwaway scenes, or one will be sort of a throwaway scene. Kind of, I'm thinking of like Ant Man and the Wasp, and like. 
mm-hmm. the aunt playing the drums. Yeah. Um, you know, something like that. But mm. both of these... I have mean, implications for the MCU going forward. I know. And so, again, I just feel like Kevin Feige, mm. whomever, is getting really bold and taking yeah. some risks. And it just... It's awesome. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, so what was the second uh, so, end credit scene? So the second one, as we know, mm. is the sort of reveal that um, Maria Hill and Nick Fury throughout this movie that they were scrolls mm-hmm. and that Nick Fury is all chilling in space sort of taking a break you know and I mean that was sort of like he's not only taking a break but it seems like he was on some sort of like scroll um some sort of space station type thing yeah I and he was sort of like giving them orders too yeah I know some some people have speculated that this is sword mm-hmm. the uh the space version of S.H.I.E.L.D. Yeah. I mean, it could be. Um, maybe, maybe Nick Fury's like, you know what? It's too much going on. Mm-hmm. I need a minute. Like, yeah, he's like, I need a vacation. Like, I've been doing this stuff for too long. <laughs> I need a break. Um, Which, for me, that scene one, it was validating because I just felt like Nick Fury in particular, his character was sort of off during the movie. Mm-hmm. And I was like, something about him... This doesn't feel. Right. Yeah. This doesn't feel like, like I think I think the act the real Nick Fury would have picked up on quitting back real quick. Yeah, or just like he was just being so intense, like mm-hmm. and rude. To yeah. Peter. And I'm like, look, look, Nick Fury. I know you're sassy, but like this was a little much. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, like we said, both of these end credit scenes sort of set had like implications for the mcu going forward so like we had predictions after endgame and now we have a little bit more information Mm -hmm. like what like what do we think like what are some predictions that we have i think the big one is that we're really we're going to space i think space is going to be a real big part Mm -hmm. of phase four yeah because you have i mean you have like guardians like, the, the third Guardians movie will be coming out. We're going to get another Captain Marvel mm-hmm. movie. And, yeah. you know, at, like, in Endgame, they made a big point to say, like, she's, she's there's a lot going on. Like, every planet, you know, across the universe had to deal with what was happening on Earth as a mm-hmm. result of the Thanos snap. And yeah. I kind of hope that we see some of that, you know? Yeah. The same way they sort of deal with the fallout in at the beginning of this movie, I, I want to mm-hmm. see what it's like on other planets. Yeah. You know, and then with the... With also Thor is in space. Yeah, Thor is in space. Um, with Disney finishing his acquisition of 20th Century Fox, they have access to the Fantastic Four, who are Earth-based, but they do some stuff in space and in other dimensions. But then they have access to Silver Surfer mm-hmm. and Galactus, and like I think, yeah, def- we're definitely going to be in space a lot more. Um, I think we'll be introduced to a lot of the the cosmic uh, characters from the Marvel comic books that were big in, I think, the 80s. Um, I so think it's going to be super fun. Yeah, I'm I'm on board for that. Like, I love space, so <laughs> like, I want to I wanna see some stuff. Um, I mean, obviously, I think it's safe to assume that Skrulls, you know, we're mm-hmm. going to continue. I'm curious to see if Skrulls are, in fact, going to be. Are they good guys? Are mm-hmm. they evil? Are they both? Yeah, I think, 
Yeah, that's going to be interesting. I think the Kree are going to be a big part of it because they were a big part of, of Captain Marvel. Um, they were part of the first Guardians movie. Mm-hmm. Uh, at least Ronan was. Um, and then the big part of the Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. TV show, I wonder if they're going to make a transition and Kree will be like a bigger part of the, of the movies going forward. Mm-hmm. Maybe so, get like Secret Invasion, you know? I think that would be yeah that would be I would I would wonder how they would pull that off in in movie form because like we, we we talk about how um, the MCU is doing a really good job of making of like evoking the same feelings as people have when they read comic books but they're not doing like a panel by panel recreation I just wonder like how they would how they would handle Secret Wars and stuff like that mm-hmm. um, especially not having access to the same stable of heroes that they used to. You know, with with Iron Man dead and and Cap not being Cap anymore, they just don't have access to the same characters. So like, I, I just wonder how they would how they would handle that. I think that's a big reason why they're going to space, is to have a large group of, of characters again. Yeah, and I think we just we kind of need a we need a break like mm-hmm. from Earth. Yeah. I think you know. Yeah, like let's let let's have some cool space adventures, a let's, la Galaxy let's uh, flesh Guardians One and Two. Yeah, a little more, frankly. I think. I mean, another thing to think about is sort of how they're gonna build back up the the roster of Avengers. You know, yeah. what does that look like? Yeah, or if they do that. Right. So if we if we if they let's say they did do it, it's what you've got Spider Man, mm-hmm. um, Captain Marvel, Black Panther. Yeah, like who, like who, like maybe Shang Chi. Although I, I, yeah, yeah, um, like what other, like what other solo movies are are planned or like heavily rumored? Like I'm not sure what other ones there are. I mean, like Chris Hemsworth's contract is going to be up, so the next Guardians movie is probably his last one. Maybe Valkyrie. I'd be I'd be cool with that. Yeah, so I don't, I don't know. Do they build up these, you know, we sort of get, like, the, the mm-hmm. new Avengers. Maybe. Yeah. Um, or maybe we're sort of, like, yeah. not doing so much a team up and sort of, you know, going around to sort of different mm-hmm. corners of the universe and seeing what's going yeah. on there. I mean, I trust them to take less well-known characters and make them compelling and make us care about them. Because that's I, what they did with Iron Man and Captain America. <laughs> I'm also kind of hoping that, you know, maybe instead of doing, like, big team-ups like you know avengers every few years maybe we get like more kind of like a like a kind of like a thor ragnarok where it's like a team-up between two or three characters something Mm -hmm. like that you know which they often do in the comics you know the team-ups and so i'd really be interested to see some really kind of unusual team-ups maybe yeah yeah so some interesting stuff you know, going forward with the MCU. I'm looking forward to Comic-Con in a couple weeks to see so will they like announce like what some other plans I, are. I have full confidence. I think, I think that's it, Mike. Yeah, anything yeah, else? So, no, I don't, I don't have anything. Yeah. So like, that's our episode for the week. Uh, we hope you enjoyed it. Uh, as always, if you like the episode, rate and review us on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcast. You know, and we'd love to hear from you. Uh, about today's episode, past episodes, or future episodes that you'd like us to talk about. Um, you can email us at nerdvsnerdpod at gmail.com. That's nerd vs nerdpod. 
And then you can also find us on Twitter and Facebook at Nerd vs. Nerd Pod. Uh, next episode, are we doing? Are we doing Ironheart next episode? Maybe. Yeah. Hopefully. I know you're super excited about that. Excited is an understatement, yeah, frankly. The uh, the trade paperback is being released on July 23rd. Is that? I think that sounds right. Yeah, it's like the it's collecting the first however many episodes, however many issues of the comic. I believe it's the first seven issues of Ironheart because some of the more recent epi- uh, issues of Ironheart were um, some team ups. Oh, okay. So they yeah. sort of. They're, but this is the core Ironheart story. All right. Uh, it's called Those with Courage is what the trade paperback is being called. And okay. it is written by the incredible Eve L. Ewing. And yeah. so we, I will geek out about that when we do that episode. That's all I'll say for now. But the point is, if you are interested in a comic about a black teen girl from Chicago who goes to MIT, who in inherits the mantle of Iron Man, you know, since we're talking about... Quite literally, yeah. Yeah, we're talking about, you know, what happens in a post-Iron Man world. Well, guess what? In the comics, there's Iron Heart. Mm-hmm. And, yeah. Yeah, I... Oh, that'd be that'd be such a great announcement at San Diego Comic-Con if they announced that they're going to do an Iron Heart movie. I will pass out, and <laughs> Mike will be forced to find a new co-host. <laughs> yeah, so... Yeah, uh, like I said, uh, any suggestions for uh, episode topics, anything you want us to talk about, let us know. Again, that's nerdversusnerdpod at gmail.com. So yeah, we will talk to you next time. Bye.